and we're going to come around to God's word together in a moment. So why don't we pray? Father God, I want to thank you and praise you that we get this opportunity to gather together today. I want to thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for the way that your word speaks to each and every one of us. And I just give you glory for that, Lord. And I pray that as we look at your word today and as we discuss some of these things together, Lord, that above everything in the midst of it, we'll hear your voice. Will you challenge us? Will you encourage us? Will you speak to us deeply today? Lord, may we not leave this place in the same way that we came in. May we leave this place walking more closely with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm not going to come straight around to the scripture, Richard, so you can take that off the screen. Hopefully it'll be fairly obvious when I want it up. But as we kick off, really, the countdown to Christmas today, we're in December, I don't know about you, but our Christmas decorations went up yesterday, so it feels a little bit more Christmassy now in the Mansfield household. As we spend time today thinking about what that actually means, I want to spend some time together this morning focusing on an amazing character from the story of the nativity. We're going to have our nativity next week, the Christmas family service, which is going to be a blast. And when we think of nativity services in their traditional form, when we think of everything that is to come, we always think of certain iconic characters, don't we, surrounding the story. And the character I want us to focus on together today, when we look at the biblical account of the nativity, has really... Uh, no speaking part whatsoever, and as a result, he can often be forgotten. When we look at this particular character from the Bible's point of view, it's a question really of blink and you will miss him. However, he is irreplaceable in the account of Jesus' birth. But his understated nature means that if you do blink, you'll miss the point entirely. And actually, I believe that his life and the way that he conducts himself and the way that he goes about doing what he is called to do really speaks to us and challenges us today. So if you've got a Bible, it will come up on the screen. Turn with me to the book of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 1 together today, beginning at verse 18. And this is what it says. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and he shall be called Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord has spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did all that the angel commanded him. He took his wife but kept her a virgin until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. I find it fascinating that nowhere in Scripture do we hear the voice of Joseph. 
You can look in all four Gospels and there is no speaking part whatsoever. Not a single word is uttered by him. But as I said, what I believe we see from his life together today speaks to each and every one of us. You know, sometimes your actions speak just as loudly as what you say. We, as Christians, are called to be people who both speak the truth and live out the truth. You see, if you simply speak the truth in your life, but you don't live it out by the way that you act and the way that you live, people will look at you and they'll think you're a hypocrite. If you simply live out the truth, but you don't speak the truth of the gospel out and you don't tell people the reason for the hope which is within you, then people will just look at you and assume that you are a good person. As Christians, we are called to be people who both speak and act. So before we really even look too deeply together at this passage today, I want to challenge each and every one of us by asking this question. How have your actions or your reactions pointed people to the majesty of God this week? How has what you have both said and what you have done pointed people to their need for Jesus? Because the reality is, you and I are so often the only Bible that anyone will ever read. And as we look at this man, Joseph, today, there are a number of lessons that I want us to pick out from his life. And looking at how we as Christians should aim to be and aspire to be and aspire to live. And the first one is simply this. Joseph was a man of righteousness. We read this. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. I remember when I asked Gemma to marry me. I remember her saying yes to me. We were only 19 years old at the time. Our parents thought that we were absolutely crazy and stupid for getting engaged so young. But to be honest, I knew that I was punching above my weight, so I needed to get a ring on her finger as quickly as possible. And I remember those days, and I was so happy when Gemma said yes to me. There was nothing or no one who could convince me that what we were doing was the wrong thing for us at the time. We got engaged, and then 18 months later, we got married. And here we are today looking at a man who was in the middle, really, of a personal crisis because he was engaged to a beautiful young woman. He was probably working incredibly hard all the days that he could in order to provide for his new bride. Uh, He loved her. He was committed to her. He believed that she loved him until the news broke. She's pregnant. It's the ultimate EastEnders duff-duff moment right here. He must have been absolutely devastated. He must have been heartbroken when he heard the news. How should he respond in this situation? To understand the full extent, really, of what is going on here, we need to have a little bit of an understanding about how a Jewish wedding works and a Jewish marriage works. A Jewish marriage essentially took place in three different parts. That First of all, there was the engagement. And this was really two families coming together, and their contracts would be arranged, if you like, where they would essentially determine whether two people were suitable for one another. The second stage was the betrothal stage. This was the kind of public ratification, if you like, of the engagement. And this period would last for one year, where the couple would be known as belonging to one another, but they wouldn't have all the rights of a married couple. They wouldn't live together or anything like that. And the only way that you could get out of the betrothal stage, the only way it could be terminated was by divorce. 
And this is a stage that Mary and Joseph were in right here. So Mary, she would have told Joseph all that had happened and how the angel Gabriel would come and about this dilemma that uh, there was. And Joseph would have been left absolutely shell-shocked. Should he publicly shame her? Should he turn her over to the authorities to have her stoned? Make no mistake about it. Mary's response to Joseph and her explanation to Joseph was unbelievable. In fact, you could even go as far as saying that her explanation to Joseph in the eyes of some would have been blasphemous. She could have been stoned on more than one issue here. Yet, even before a divine explanation is given, Joseph chooses the path of mercy, not malice, no explosion. He could have asked a raft of questions of his wife-to-be, but no words are recorded, only tenderness. As Christians, you know what? We have a lot to learn from Joseph's reaction to this news here and how he is a man of righteousness, particularly from what we talked about last week when we concluded our look at the book of Jonah. I mean, the chances are, if you're in this room, you have never been in the exact position that Joseph found himself in on this particular day. But I am sure that at some point in your life, you have been wronged by another person. Maybe you have been hurt or you have been offended. How do you react when you are wronged? I guess if we're honest, generally our natural reaction to being wronged and offended is to try to hold on to that offence. They have done something to me, and as a result, things are not going to be the same anymore because they have hurt me, very similar to how Jonah reacted last week. We tend to hold on to the offence and what people have done to us, and what it does to us is that it imprisons us. It makes us bitter, and it taints all of our future relationships going forward. I mean, how many times have you heard people make comments like, you're just like the rest of them? All men are cheaters. I can't trust anyone. Everyone screws me over. I am done believing in people. Where does that come from? It comes from past hurts and past pains being projected onto future relationships. Everyone is going to let me down or hurt me, so I'm going to put up some walls and put up some defenses, so that can't happen to me. Whereas what Jonah, uh, Joseph teaches us here is that even before an explanation is given, he acts righteously in this situation. In the midst of his initial hurt and his initial pain and his initial shock, he didn't seek vengeance. He didn't go about blabbing to everyone about how awful his future wife had been. Despite his hurt, he wanted to do what was right by Mary. And that comes from a place of choice, not a feeling. When it comes to betrayal, our default position is to be led by our emotions. But ultimately, freedom from hurt, from pain, from rejection, from whatever has come our way doesn't happen if we simply sit around and wait for those feelings to subside. It has to be an active choice. We have to choose to forgive. In the midst of my pain, in the midst of what you have done to me, I am choosing to forgive. I may not feel like it right now, but every time those feelings resurface within me, I will choose the path of forgiveness. I will choose to forgive you. There's a story of a girl who survived the Ottoman genocide on the Armenians. Her parents and her sisters, they both died in attacks, but she miraculously survived. As fate would have it, She became a nurse in her later life. And the man who spearheaded those attacks was admitted to her hospital where she served. 
He needed intensive care in order to survive. Otherwise, he would die. He needed incredibly special attention. And nurses were few at this time compared to the number of patients which were being admitted to the hospital. And no one was willing to give him the care that he needed. But this Armenian girl, she volunteered and she ensured that he survived. When he regained consciousness, he asked her why she didn't let him die. And she responded to this man by saying that the Lord that she serves demands radical forgiveness to anyone who offends her. It's not a question of how or if radical forgiveness is offered. She knew that she was commanded to follow in the steps of her saviour. Who has offended you, I wonder? Who has hurt you? Who do you need to make things right with today. The first thing that we see from this unspoken biblical character teaches us that he was a man of righteousness. He was willing to do right by his bride, even when circumstances may have warranted revenge. The second thing that we see in the life of Joseph is that he was a man of courage. We read this in Matthew 1:20. But when he considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus, for he will save people from their sins. So Joseph has a dream in which the angel appears to him, and in the midst of this dream, what happens is he gets a glimpse of what is to come. In a dream, God speaks to Joseph and he shows him, Joseph, there's a bigger picture going on here than what you realize. There is something which I am doing in the midst of everything and you are part of that story. You see, because Joseph was a descendant of David and he was a righteous man, he was given the task of raising the Messiah. God tells Joseph that this baby would be the baby which saved the world from their sins. In fact, the literal meaning of the name Jesus is Yeshua, which means the Lord is salvation. Can you imagine Joseph's anticipation at this point? Knowing now that he was responsible for bringing up the most important baby who was ever born. 12 years ago, next Monday... I held my firstborn son in my arms for the very first time. I remember looking down at him and his tiny little face and being so overjoyed and filled with so much love as I looked at him in my arms. But also a feeling of fear and trepidation over me at that point because I realized now it's not just my life that I am responsible for. It's not just my wife's life that I am responsible for. Now I have this little tiny baby who can do nothing on his own apart from eat and sleep and poo. And he relies on me for absolutely everything. And here, Joseph is told, it's not just any old baby that you're going to be looking after. This baby is the saviour of the world. You are called to raise God's own son as your own. Can you imagine the feeling in that moment? God had a plan, and what he does essentially is he shows Joseph the next step of that plan. He doesn't show Joseph the entire picture. He doesn't talk about what is going to happen and go into lots of detail. He just shows him this kind of broad overview and gives him the next step. You know what? So often that's how God works in our life as well. We don't get every detail of the plan that God gives. In fact, we read these words in Psalm 37 verse 23. The steps of man are established by the Lord. God has a plan for your life 
And often, the way that plan is revealed is by showing you the next step. It's even more illustrated when we think of Psalm 119, where we read, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know, when an ancient traveler used to travel at night on a dark and rocky road, they would often have a lamp and they would swing it in front of them like this as they walked. And what would happen as they swung that lamp is that it would illuminate the very next step in front of them, the rocks and the dangers right in front of them. They couldn't see the whole path, they could just see the very next step. Some had clay lamps which would be tied to their feet, which would illuminate the path around them as they took their next step. You know, often God won't show us that entire journey. He'll just show us the next step. Why? Because if God showed us the entire journey that he wanted us to go on in exact detail, we'd run a mile, wouldn't we? I look back over these last couple of years and come in here, I remember feeling the call that God was calling me to come to hope. Would I have come if I had known there was a worldwide pandemic around the corner? My honest answer is I don't know, but I know I was called. If I had known the details which were to come, maybe not. And that's how God works. He shows us what we need to know. He shows us what our next step should be that we need to do in order to take and be part of the plans and purposes of God. And he reveals the rest to us when we need to know it. God breaks it down for us. And that's a gracious thing that he does. A classic example in scripture of this is the Apostle Paul. You know the story, I'm sure. Paul meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. After he is converted, he asks, what should I do? And the answer comes back. Arise and go to Damascus. And there you will be told all that has been appointed for you to do. He asks God, what should I do? He's told, go to Damascus. There, God will tell him really the general direction of his life. He would be Christ's witness to all men and all women. But after that broad overview, the details for Paul come one step at a time. Joseph was given a dream with a broad overview of what was going to happen in his life, a broad overview of the plan that God had for him and the part that he had to play in that plan. But he didn't know the full picture. What he knew was the next step. It takes courage to take that next step when you don't know what the outcome is going to be. It takes courage to pursue God's vision rather than man's wisdom. And sometimes it seems absolutely absurd, doesn't it? Abraham, I want you to leave everything that you know, your family, your friends, and I want you to go to a far-flung land. Moses, I want you to go to the superpower of the day and tell them to let my people go. Joshua, I want you to take a step, and you're going to march around the wall seven times. What vision, I wonder, has God given you for your life? What vision are you tuned into right now? What is the next step? that God is calling you to take. Because let me tell you, if you are here and you're a Christian, you are called. What is that next step? And are you willing to take it, even though you don't understand why God might be calling you to do this? The final thing that I believe we see from the life of Joseph today is that Joseph was a man of obedience. We read this. And Joseph awoke from his sleep, and he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife but kept her a virgin until she gave birth, and he called his son Jesus. Notice that with Joseph, there was no hesitation whatsoever. This is completely opposite, isn't it, to what we've been looking at the past few weeks as we've looked at Jonah. He didn't have the whole plan 
of his life in front of him, but he knew there was a plan. And as a result of that, he clearly understood what God expected of him, and he was prepared to do it. He'd take Mary as his wife, even though it may have meant cutting remarks from the community about how this happens and how this baby was conceived before his wedding. He would call his adopted son Jesus, just like he was told to do. Joseph believed God and obeyed him. Later, Joseph would leave his established carpentry business and all that he knew to take his wife and his newborn son to Egypt, just as God commanded him to do. You see, faith and obedience go hand in hand. It is impossible to please God without faith. And the outworking of genuine faith is obedience. The Bible says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not yet seen. Joseph could not see the outcome. He'd only heard about what was to come in a dream. But his faith was so sure in God that when he'd heard it, it was as if it had already happened. So he stepped out, believing that God would come through for him, even though he couldn't quite understand and see. You know, As the church of Jesus Christ, and I'm not just talking about Hope Baptist Church, as the church, we have gone through some uncertain times in these last 18 months or so, haven't we? There are things which have left us feeling awkward and anxious. There are things which have left us feeling uncertain and unsteady. There are things which have made made us feel unengaged and disengaged and wondering, is there a place for me anymore? God has not finished with you. No matter how uncertain things might seem, if you simply follow these steps, listen to God, have courage to take the next step, and be obedient to him. You know, as a church, and I am talking about Hope Baptist Church now, I believe in this next season, God is going to birth gifts within people in this place that you never realized you had. I believe that the Holy Spirit is going to be prompting people to get up and stand up and get involved in the work that he is calling them to get involved in, even though you look at it and you think, there's no way that I could do that. But God is calling you to take a next step. So with that in mind this morning, I want to ask the question to everyone here and everyone watching online, what is the next step? that God is calling you to right now? And are you willing to take it, even though you don't know what the outcome will be? The promise of God is that he won't let the righteous fall. So if that is genuinely the case, which I, church, believe wholeheartedly is the real question this morning is this, what have we got to lose? The life of Joseph teaches us some incredible principles about how we as Christians are called to live in this day and age. We are called to be a people of radical righteousness, that we seek first the kingdom over everything in our life. We are called to follow him wholeheartedly, and we're called to be a people of courage. And we're called to take that next step. And let me tell you, church, if we as the church can put these things into practice, Though the future might be uncertain at times, we will fly in Jesus' name. So what is the next step I wonder God is calling you to take today? I'm going to invite the band to come back up and to join me. And if you're in the room, I want to invite you to stand.
And as the band just get ready to lead us in some song response this morning. In the silence, my encouragement to you is to ask that question of God today. God, what is the next step you're calling me to take? What are you calling me to do? Will you illuminate for me that next step? And Holy Spirit, this morning, I pray right now that you will be speaking and you'll be leading and you'll be guiding people into what that next step might be for them. Whether that's some sort of service, whether, Lord God, that's a new ministry, whether, Lord God, that's a a challenge to make rights and wrongs of the past. Lord, my prayer is this morning that, just like Joseph, you'll give us your courage for whatever it is that you call us to do. Even when we don't see and understand, Holy Spirit, may you help us to put our trust wholeheartedly in you. In Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to respond now together in song. And I want to encourage you as as we sing, just to keep that question going over in your mind. Lord, what are you calling of me? What is my next step? Let's worship God together.